1 Peter chapter 1 verses 10 through 12 Concerning this salvation the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have been now told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. We started our study of First Peter with this statement about our salvation. We have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God that results in our being born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We respond to the saving grace of the Lord and receive the promised provision of the blood of Jesus that was shed for the forgiveness of of sins. That's that process of salvation. And if you don't have all the points that I'm referring to when I say these in summary, go back and listen to those words, to those sermons. But it, there's a process in terms of how the Lord brings us to himself, how the Lord keeps us in him, and how the Lord will consummate, will complete that salvation when he returns or when we die and we're you know, with the Lord for eternity. But that salvation that is in process in our lives the main or the important point to note about what I've just summarized is that our salvation, our, the opportunity that we have to come to the Lord in this way, our salvation was foreknown. God knew all of that. God knew all of that even before the creation of the world. God knew what he would do in the fullness of time to restore us to himself. Because we had been separated from God by sin, God knew at what time and in what way we would be restored to him. You know, and the plan of salvation and then the individual Lord, uh, the coming to the Lord in our own lives. God had known all of that. This week, we're considering that our salvation was foretold. It wasn't just foreknown, it was also foretold. And God, when he is foretelling, is directly connected to, that, that foretelling of the Lord is directly connected to and a reinforcement of his foreknowing. He speaks what he already knows. He declares the truth that is already known in him. And about 3,000 years ago, God spoke through his prophets about his saving grace that was going to come to us. When Jesus came into the world as a baby, born to a virgin, as prophesied, when he lived the way that he did, as prophesied, when he died, was buried, and then raised from the dead, as prophesied, the gospel message did not have to be explained, it just had to be announced. 
Because all the things had been leading up to it, had been set up, it had been told, it had been known. And so it didn't have to be explained when Jesus comes to the earth, when, when he does all that he is doing, it is simply announced. This is the kingdom of God now come to men, come before you. This is the salvation of the Lord. This is the new life. This is the new covenant. It is announced. It is declared. When Jesus announced that he would go to Jerusalem to be put to death by the Jewish people, Peter, Peter, who we are reading from, who we are hearing from, Peter didn't understand it at that time. But on the day of Pentecost, after Jesus' resurrection, after G Peter had experienced all of that, you know, becoming a new creation in Christ Jesus, after he had been called and sanctified and moving and restored in relationship and all of that, on the day of Pentecost, Peter addressed the very same people who had put Jesus to death by declaring this. He said, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. That was David declaring that in Psalm 16, and that's what Peter is quoting. And then he continues, Peter continues, Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised, had foretold, had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. He foretold about the resurrection of the Messiah that Jesus was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did Jesus' body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And this is what Peter refers to, that this is what was foretold by the prophet Joel. All of these combinations of things that were known and foretold and everything else, it, is, it was to, you know, when Peter is going through this statement in Acts chapter 2 in, on the day of Pentecost, he is explaining what has already happened. He's not trying to predict what will happen. He's explaining what has already happened. And Peter went through that explanation to make it clear to the people what they were witnessing. And he said, this is what's going on. This is what had been told. This is what had been promised. This is how the Holy Spirit had been moving. I'm explaining this to you. I want you to understand that this is 
what is going on. Jesus provided a very similar kind of explanation after his resurrection to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. When those two disciples, after having heard that Jesus had been put to death and that he was buried, not knowing that Jesus was resurrected or not having that direct you know, experience of it, they are wondering what has happened. Why did it happen? What will happen now? And what about all those messianic prophecies? And they were thinking that the messianic prophecies were pointing to a triumphant king, not a suffering servant who would die. And so they are confused. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to go about this. But it says in Luke chapter 24, verses 25 through 27, Jesus said to them, Jesus who comes alongside and is walking with them, they don't recognize him. Jesus says to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So, how does knowing that our salvation has been foreknown and foretold affect our daily lives today? Because you can understand this, you can think of this, you can say, okay, the Lord has done this, but what does it mean for you today? How should you now live? What happens? God's foreknowing and his foretelling of how the plan of salvation would unfold means that we can trust the Lord even if we don't know what is to come in the world around us. Even if we don't know how the wars will be settled or how there will be reconciliation or what will happen or how will this take place and what will be the next thing. Even if we don't know that, we can put our trust in God because everything that we have experienced up until now lets us know that God foreknows and God foretells and he will bring it to pass. Verse 10 through 11 tells us that the prophets searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing. They were diligent. They examined what the Lord had already said. They looked at the promises that the Lord had already given. They looked at what he was saying now and they considered that and said, what does this mean? How is this to be revealed? How will this be manifest? Just as we see that throughout in the Old Testament. But Peter doesn't say that God then showed the prophets the specific details of the Messiah's coming. God, throughout these scriptures in the Old Testament, is revealing, is foretelling, is telling them, this is what's going to come, this is what's going to come. Even David's statement in Psalm 16 if you read it at you know, the first reading, it almost sounds like David speaking about himself. But he says, your Holy One will not see decay. And Peter interprets that, un explains it to say that he's actually speaking about Jesus. That Jesus would not be held by death or in the tomb. That J Jesus would not see decay. The body would not see decay. And so here he is explaining these things. But here in verse 11 and 12, in, instead of trying to explain all the details, verse 12 says that God revealed to the prophets that when they were foretelling God's plan of salvation through the suffering, 
the death on the cross, and the glory, the resurrection from the dead of the Messiah, of Jesus, they were not, the prophets were not speaking for their own benefit. Many times we think prophecy is for our benefit. And we try to interpret things and go after things for our immediate gain. But look at what the prophets did, how they spoke and what the Lord said to them. He said, when I'm giving you this word, this is not for your benefit. This is to serve those coming after you. They were speaking, the prophets were speaking by the Holy Spirit for the benefit of future generations who would believe in Jesus. They were speaking for the benefit of the persecuted believers in Asia Minor that Peter was writing to. They were speaking for the benefit of those that are suffering in wars and tribulations and sufferings of all kinds, trials of all kinds. The prophets were speaking for our benefit. The news that we hear today, whether it is uplifting or alarming or urgent or informative, it will become largely irrelevant and mostly forgotten in a short period of time, pretty quickly. The wonderful characteristic of the Word of God is that it is relevant for all time. As one commentator puts it, the message of salvation is always relevant and urgent. It is appropriate for every generation, every culture, every person. It is a heavenly message brought by the Holy Spirit and will never become outdated. In fact, it is such a marvelous message that even the angels of heaven desire to look into it. Can you imagine that? The angels in heaven are in the presence of the glory and majesty of God, yet they long to look into this message of salvation. The verbal form translated as looked, look into is a marvelous word in the Greek. It is, it is parakupto, and it means to stoop down and take a peek. Isn't that wonderful? The angels of heaven want to take a peek at this wonderful salvation which has been declared by the prophets, revealed by the Holy Spirit, and is available for all who will receive it by faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. The writer of Hebrews summarizes the situation well when he poses the question, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? For all who receive this great salvation, it is blessed. It brings joy unspeakable and full of glory, and it promises life eternal. When the future is uncertain, and everything is in turmoil, we have a wonderful anchor for our souls. God has foretold our rescue and our reward so that our focus on Him as the trustworthy and true source is the only thing that matters. We don't look to the circumstances. We don't look to all of the things that are going on around us. We look to Him. And because God has given us His Word, because He has done this for us, 
we respond and apply the word of God that we have heard by living according to what the Lord has foretold. And what do I mean by that? You see, look at this. And again, I want to read another long passage of Scripture, but it ties to what Peter did and how he is speaking in this epistle. You see, after Peter addressed the crowd on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 believed and were joined to the church on that day, we read in Acts chapter 3 that Peter and John were on their way to the temple for the time of prayer, or they were going there to pray. And as they went towards the temple at the gate, at the beautiful gate, there was a man who was lame from birth that had been laid there. And he was there all that time, right? He was there during the time of Jesus or everything. He would, he would have been laid there at that gate. And nothing had happened. He was still there. But on this particular day, as Peter and John are going to the temple, the lame man looks to them or is considering them. He's asking for money. And Peter says, look at me, look at us. And the lame man thinks, oh, he's going to get some money from them. But Peter says, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And then we can sing that song. He went walking and leaping and praising God, right? He went walking and leaping into the courts of the temple with, the, with Peter and John. And the people, when they recognized that this was the lame man that had been lying there by the gate all these years, and suddenly he's walking and leaping, they all came rushing. They were astonished. They were holding on to Peter. They said, what's going on? How is this possible? But when Peter sees this, Peter says, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. And you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go, though Pilate had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, 
The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Same message. After saying all that he had recorded, all that he had said, all that was recorded in the book of Acts about what Peter said. What is Peter saying here in this epistle? In this letter now to those persecuted believers? as he speaks about salvation, as he encourages them, as he tells them to persevere till the end, as he tells them to await the Messiah that will come, and he continues, you know, and through the rest of these two letters, we'll see continued references to that. What is Peter saying? It's the same message he said in Acts 3. He says, repent. Receive the refreshing cleansing of the Lord. By the sprinkling of his blood, be cleansed, be made new, be made a new creation in Christ Jesus, and then live in holiness. Not try to interpret every single prophecy according to your desires, but rather because you know that this is what the Lord has foretold, repent, be cleansed, live in holiness. See, how do we know that... The focus of God's foretelling is that we would live our daily lives in the present, in holiness, in obedience, in trust, rather than trying to figure out the future. How do we know that? Because in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 16, the next set of verses that we'll be considering next week, it says this, Therefore with minds that are alert and sober, therefore because you know that all of this has been foretold because you know that the prophets of old have said this. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. That's the call of the Lord. And we'll go into a lot more detail on that next time and as we look at, consider what does it mean to live holy lives. But the point that I want to make to you is this. Our focus right now as we live our daily lives and as we look to the Lord and as we look to Him to bring peace, to bring comfort, to bring wisdom, to affect the hearts of the rulers. When we say, Lord, the, the heart of the king is in your hands, do with them what you will, let your will be done. When we call out to the Lord in this way, our focus is not on deciphering the prophecies to know what happens in the future. Our focus must be to trust the Lord, the giver of all of these words, no matter what happens around us, so that we would live holy lives today. Because you see, when our focus is on living those lives that are consecrated to God in the present, we will be prepared for any future. It doesn't matter what will happen. 
It doesn't matter if we lose our lives. It doesn't matter if we're martyred. It doesn't matter if anything goes wrong. If we will be able to say, oh, thank you, Lord, that because I am living for you in the present, as you have called me to live, I am prepared for any future. You see, when the world hears alarming news, when they don't know what to do, when they're uncertain, when everything seems to be going awry, when they hear of wars and rumors of wars, and they have to, no way of to know what is, to, what is coming. They have no, nothing foretelling them, foretelling for them what is going to come. When they don't know what's going to happen, they do, uh, primarily the world in general reacts in one of two ways. One, they say everything is lost. They become despondent, they despair, they give up hope. And if you don't have hope, you know, it's as if you're not living. You have given up all your life even. But the second response of the world, when they don't know what is to come, is to say, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Enjoy life. It's a short life. Life is too short not to be happy. And off they go, living their way, whatever they way, want to. We have to be careful because as Christians, we tend to do similar things even though we don't really say that. We have an uncertainty about the future. We're not sure about the, where God is leading us, what the will of plan of God is. And we either despair, we become depressed, we have all sorts of things that hold us down. We're not looking to the Lord, we're not trusting Him. Or we say, well, you know, live. Just enjoy life. Just eat, drink, and be merry. But you know what the call of God on our lives really is? When we as Christians hear alarming news, when we don't know what's going to happen, when we can't say for sure this is the thing that's going to happen on this day in this place, because we trust God who knows exactly what is to come, we can declare whether we eat or drink. We do it all to the glory of God. For tomorrow, we don't die, we live. For us to live is to live holy for Christ. And for us to die is gain to live eternally with the Lord. One way or the other, we don't die, we live. And so we put our hope in Him. We put our trust in Him. We don't despair. The stress levels, they increase because of all the uncertainties in the world around us. That's not going to be dealt with by any other means than us going to the Lord Almighty. And we say, we thank you, Lord, that you knew everything and you have spoken everything. You've given me everything that I need to know and to believe and to live. I can live my life in this earth with joy. I can live my life in this earth with peace. I can live this life on earth with the gifts of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit being born through my life, manifested for, through my life for the common good. Oh, what a privilege. What a joy. The Christian life is worth living. That's the privilege that we have as children of God. In these days, 
I want to encourage you. Here's Peter's letters to these persecuted Christians. And he's encouraging them. He's building them up. He's telling them, oh, thank you for staying true. Keep staying true. Doesn't matter what the circumstances. And in the middle of all of that, remember, like I said last week, he says, you should expect suffering. You should expect trials. Don't think that just because you're a Christian, nothing will go wrong. Everything will go wrong. You should expect it. But in the midst of it all, the Lord who has foretold what is to come can be trusted. Oh, that's our joy. That's our peace. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that, Lord, your word is so complete for us, so rich for us, so life-giving for us, that, Lord, in the midst of all that is going on, we have our opportunity to trust in you and to look to you. And, Lord, your word says that those who look to you will never be ashamed. Thank you, Lord, that when answers to prayer seem to be delayed, thank you, Lord, that when we are not sure how the answer to prayer can even come, Lord, when we look at our circumstances and loved ones who don't know you and, Lord, the things that are uncertain, we don't know how they can be resolved. But I thank you, Lord, that as Peter said to the Israelites, he said, why are you amazed? Why are you surprised? This is not because of anything we have done. It is because of the Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, we thank you that we can trust you, that you are a powerful, wonderful all-encompassing God, the Lord of our lives. And because of who you are, Lord, everything is okay in you. Everything is set right in you. Let us live our lives in holiness, in commitment, Lord, in consecration, awaiting your return so that no matter what comes in the future, we are prepared in Christ. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.